Jonah chapter 3. The text is printed in the bulletin also, if you can find it. And uh, I'll apologize in advance if I have a breakdown. Um, It's because of the allergies. It's apparently like the worst allergies in the history of the universe these couple days. So um, we'll try to make it through. But um, Jonah 3, there are some Bibles available in the back and then also some children's Bibles that have the story of Jonah there. Um, so the, uh, the children's Bible, I'm not sure, I didn't look at it, but uh, it probably has a big fish as the picture for uh, the story of Jonah. As we've noted in the series already, it's probably, you know, the book of Jonah is probably best known for the, the part about the fish, which we looked at last week in chapter two. It's pretty epic. It's, um, it's unusual. It is a tremendously important part of the, sto- uh, part of the story, um, but it's, it's strange. It catches your attention. It's a conversation starter. People wrestle with it. You know, it's one of those um, things that people talk about to figure out, could the Bible even be true? Because look at crazy stuff like this. Uh, it generates curiosity, this fish story. But um, last week I mentioned in a side note that there's a lot stranger stuff in the Bible than uh, the part about the fish. There's a lot stranger stuff, and right here in this chapter, in Jonah 3, uh, we have some of the stranger stuff. Um, In fact, this is one of the craziest things ever to happen in the Bible, maybe even in the history of the world. Uh, One of the craziest things, it's the repentance of Nineveh. It's an entire city full of really bad people that really thoroughly repent. It's a really big deal. It's not just a big deal for Jonah and for Israel at that time, for what God was saying to his people uh, in Israel through the repentance of the Ninevites. It's, it's a really big deal for all of history, and it's a really big deal for us even now. Basically, it means that God really can bring anyone to repentance. The gospel really can change anyone. No one is beyond hope of salvation. God can do uh, well beyond what we can ask or imagine. And the incredible thing is that uh, we pretty much ignore the magnitude of this. I think the tremendous significance of, uh, of what's happening here with Jonah in Nineveh, we're more likely to talk about the fish, right, as that crazy thing in, Nineveh, in, uh, in the book of Jonah, um, more likely to talk about the fish instead of the massive, unique revival that takes place in uh, Nineveh. We don't have the response that we're supposed to have. We don't. We don't have the response that we're supposed to have, which is uh, glorifying God for this kind of grace. What we see here in chapter 3 ought to uh, expand our hearts. We ought to be encouraged and emboldened to proclaim the gospel um, to anyone, to anybody who is around us. But uh, what's recorded here, even though we don't have this response that we're supposed to have, what's recorded here is supposed to make our hearts leap as we consider our own salvation, as we consider the great potential for the salvation of others around us. So um, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let's ask God to make that happen for us so that we wouldn't neglect what we're seeing in this passage. Uh, let's, let's pray to God and then we'll read his word together. <clears throat> Father, uh, we need your help. We know we need your help. We don't even know how much we need your help. So as we come to this part in your word, would you wake us up? Would you uh, change our hearts and our minds to be able to see what you're saying to us out of your word and to not only see it clearly, 
not only to see it in light of the gospel, but to be changed by it into the kind of people who truly do have the proper response in our faith and in our uh, service to you. We want to be more like Christ, who is our Savior, and so we pray for your help as we consider your word in his name. Amen. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast Heard nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> so, just a brief recap of the story up to this point to get the themes in our head. Jonah had been told by God, the original calling that he had received, he'd been told by God to go to Nineveh, go preach against it. It's that great city of Assyria. And Assyria is the enemy of Israel, where Jonah's from. And Jonah w uh, went insane with self-righteousness. He said he'd rather have nothing to do with God. And, in fact, would basically become a pagan. He would rather do that than believe that he was in need of God's mercy, just like those pagans needed mercy. Uh, that's the insanity of self-righteousness. But he fled, and he didn't flee only from God's assignment, from the mission to go to Nineveh and preach, but from God's very presence. Right? He fled from God himself. So, just a side note, when you refuse to do something that God tells you to do, like uh, evangelism here, right? um, you're not just breaking some abstract commandment. You're not just violating something that is written down in words and uh, says what you should do or not do. Uh, you're, you're rebelling against God personally. Every time you don't do what God tells you to do, you're rebelling against God personally. And so, God in his mercy, though, just so you know, there's mercy for you, because that, that defines all of us. God in his mercy, he won't let you get away from him. He won't let Jonah get away from him. So he pursued him, and that pursuit was traumatic. There was a storm, there was a fish, right? And he was trapped in the belly of the fish, and he prayed, and he, uh, he prayed knowing that God had revealed himself to be merciful and he banked on that mercy for his life. Even though I've rebelled against you in a pretty severe way, um, I know there's mercy for me and, and uh, 
When he was brought to that point, God caused the fish that had swallowed him to vomit him out onto the dry land so that um, he could start over. So throughout the story, we've seen God's sovereign mercy at work. Sovereign in, uh, in terms of like he's doing whatever he wants to do and mercy, what he wants to do is good for us. It's good for Jonah and it's ultimately good for us. His absolute ability to do whatever he wants in order to demonstrate his grace and his mercy and his love. And um, again, I think I read this last week, Douglas Stewart says that he will accomplish what he intends. And his intention, as it is becoming clear, is that Jonah should be taught a lesson about grace. So the whole book is uh, written to teach us this lesson, right? to teach us a lesson about his grace. And we see it right off the bat in our passage. It says uh, in the first two verses when it says, the, the, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So John Calvin said uh, this was a remarkable proof of God's grace, that he was pleased to bestow on Jonah his former dignity and honor. God not only restored him to life, but favored him again with the office and honor of a prophet. The recovery of his prophetic office was certainly not obtained through his own merit. All right, so right here in these two verses, we have a remarkable proof of God's grace. Jonah's the bad guy in the story, and even though God had, uh, has had tremendous mercy on him already, we'll still see it hasn't really sunk in all that far yet, right? And so it's amazing that God restores him to the office and to the honor of being his prophet. Um, normally, I think we'd maybe expect Jonah to be sidelined here. Right? Um, there's a mission. I've got something for you to accomplish. You're not going to do it. Here, let me make you do it. Now, there's a mission. Like, let's hit the reset button. Uh, but we'd expect him to be sidelined. More, you know, something like a coach with a player who refuses to go into the game, who refuses to play according to the rules, who refuses to do what the coach says when he gets in the game. Right? Uh, a stubborn. Um, Stubborn refusal, we expect to be met with uh, being benched. You're on the bench, kid, <laughs> right? Watch this. I'll win without you. Um, don't you think there should be some sort of probationary period? Don't you feel like there should be some sort of probationary period? When you think about your own sin and you think about um, the wreck of guilt and shame and brokenness, that you feel when you come into contact and awareness with your own sin, don't you kind of, don't you know there should be really a, a time of probation, some, some sort of time before I'm really ready to do anything to serve God or even to pray again. I got to clean myself up or something before that, right? Um, before Jonah's sent back on such an important miss, mission, don't you think, if he ever gets sent at all, don't you think, didn't, didn't he blow his chance, really? But at least he, he should have some probationary period, right? That's our religious expectations, but um, that's wrong. That's wrong when, when this God is working with you. That's the wrong instinct. Um, you might worry that you're too messed up to be useful to God, too messed up to even approach God in relationship, let alone serve him and do something in his name, Right? Uh, to go out and do evangelism for him. Uh, you might worry that you're too messed up, but you can't get much more messed up than Jonah. 
and God used him wonderfully and surprisingly. And he's, he's not perfect after this. He's not using a perfect person by any means to bring about one of the greatest events in history. Um, so you are not beyond salvaging, right? just so you know. Um, in fact, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you're ready. You're ready to do his work. So, um, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So last time he did this, he fled the other direction, but now he's going. He's doing what God says. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, and literally, that's, uh, in the Hebrew, it's uh, a great city to God. It's, um, it's not just, it, it's a great city to God. Three days' journey in breadth might um, be idiomatic. It probably means something more like a, a visit required three days, because as we see later, it's, you know, it's a city of 120,000 people, probably, some, somewhere around that area. It's like the city of Hillsborough probably wouldn't take you three days to walk across, um, but to visit all the, the places within the city, it would take you a while, take you a few days. It may just be uh, kind of symbolic, like it takes a long time to get around it, right? <clears throat> so three days journey in breadth, or a visit required three days, and Jonah, it's like the first day, right? He began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown, so Jonah has been changed by God to some degree, because he's pretty intrepid now. I mean, uh, he's going deep into the heart of enemy lands. This is 600 miles away from where he started out um, to this terrible city, city full of terrible people. And he's going there alone, and he doesn't stall for time. He doesn't get there and try to scope things out and get a plan in place, you know. doesn't try to find just the right opportunities. He just gets right to the message. He's not... He's not talking with people individually, private conversations, <clears throat> but he's calling out in the streets, and it's a message of condemnation. It's a message of doom, right? Uh, so there's some courage here in him, or maybe he's still just kind of got that death wish. I think, though, <clears throat> that he is, uh, he's being courageous here to, to obey God at a time like this. So I think that goes to show that you can be a pretty weak Christian, pretty low-level sanctification, right? Uh, like Jonah, really self-absorbed, self-righteous, disobedient most of the time, angry at God for a lot of reasons. Um, you can be that kind of pretty weak Christian and still have the resources to boldly proclaim the gospel, even in a hostile setting, even where you're expecting probably to get killed for opening your mouth. <laughs> right? You can be a weak Christian and do that. And we're not told what it was that, uh, that did the trick. You just get the sense that actually God himself um, simply caused them to respond to Jonah's preaching. That's, it's not written there explicitly, but it, you kind of get that sense. Because this is a miracle, what happens. It says the people of Nineveh believed God. That's, that's very unlikely, right, to have happened. But it says the people of Nineveh believed God and they called for a fast. And they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So literally, when it says that people believed God, it's, a, it's emphatic. It's sort of the way that Yoda talks. Believed the people did in God, right? Believed. They believed. And it was a belief that uh, bore the fruit of repentance thoroughly, right? Uh, all of them fasted. 
all of them fasted and put on sackcloth. And it's a profound summary of the greatest revival in history. An entire city. Again, in chapter 4, you learn that there's over 120,000 people in Nineveh, which is a pretty significant population. It's a you know, huge population for a city in those days. Um, and having given that summary, the people believed and they fasted and put on sackcloth. And uh, having given that, the author then uh, backs up to fill in the details of like how this happened. And it's, uh, it's that the word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne. He removed his robe. And he covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes, issued a proclamation, and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. That's what the Assyrians were primarily known for is the violence. Who knows, he says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. I mean, this is serious repentance. That we see here. They go all out, whether it's because they just had no idea how to actually repent, or they just wanted to be thorough. They even had the animals join them. It's like not even the animals are going to eat or drink water. Um, the fear of God had been put into them. How is that possible? How is it possible that they came to that level of thorough repentance? I mean, it's an unremarkable sermon that you've got recorded there. It's only bad news. There's no hope associated with it. There's, there's no instructions. There's no applications in this sermon. We can uh, imagine that either Jonah was pretty vicious about it or his heart just wasn't really in it, probably. Um, but this king latches on to just one little implicit, maybe, sliver of hope. He says, who knows we don't know, but who knows? God might turn and relent. Maybe, just maybe, God's giving us warning in advance so that we can escape this judgment. Right? Jonah's message is an oracle of doom. It's an oracle. It's a foretelling. God's justice is coming. And it's, it's hardly even implicit, but the king finds a sliver of hope there. What's the point in a warning like that? Unless maybe there's an escape, right? What's the point of foretelling our destruction at all? Unless there's hope. 40 days? Why not just incinerate us immediately and be done with it? Why are you telling us this in advance? Maybe, just maybe, um, there's hope. Strict, strict judgment is terrifying. Strict judgment might not be gracious, but the warning of judgment it might be gracious, right? The fact that this is a warning is gracious. And we have the same kind of warning uh, standing right in front of us soon. We don't know how long, but soon. Jesus says soon. The judge will return for judgment day, so now is the time to seek his mercy. Now is the time for repentance. Um, many people recoil at the idea of a judgment, a strict universal, according to the perfect divine standards of God's law, a judgment. A lot of people recoil at that concept, but some take the warning for what it is 
it's a sliver of hope that he's telling you in advance so that you can throw yourself on him for his mercy. So that maybe you can escape that judgment. Now these Ninevites were exceedingly evil people. They, they did stuff that you wouldn't let your kids watch on television, right? I mean, they pulled out people's tongues. When they conquered people, they skinned their prisoners alive and they draped their skins over, over the walls as warnings to others. Um, they cut off the heads of conquered kings and they turned them into necklaces that the conquered nobles were made to wear in front of their people. I mean, it, it's hard to imagine a worse group of people in history, a more violent, evil group of people in history, and they repented on hearing only the bad news preached by a mean prophet. They repented on hearing only bad news preached by a mean prophet. Their repentance was miraculous. I mean, this thing, it just doesn't happen. And they're given as an example of some of the people that uh, are the least likely to repent, and they did. And they did it in earnest. They did it thoroughly, all of them. How much more should we repent? Turn away from our sin. On hearing the good news proclaimed to us by Jesus Christ himself. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? We've got something amazing held out in front of us to respond to. These people had very little, very little to go on and they responded. We don't just have a message of terror like they did. We have a message of real hope and peace. We have the promises, and we have the fulfillment of promises in Jesus Christ himself. We have the love of God on unbelievable display in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ and the outpouring of his spirit. There's every reason for us to throw ourselves on him for his mercy and to repent. And there is no good reason not to do that. And uh, we even have the, the very clear warning of judgment that um, if we don't, we're in trouble. Right? There's every reason to throw yourself on him for his mercy right now. There's no good reason not to. Uh, and when God saw what they did, how they turned, turning is repentance, right? Turning away from sin, turning to the one true God. How they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So this is meant to be an utterly shocking display of God's grace. Right? That the terrible judgment that everybody expects to fall on the Ninevites, even we hope it falls on the Ninevites, right? That judgment that it is sure and it's coming. God's already said it's coming. And they're spared. They're spared. And this doesn't mean literally that God changed his mind. Right? That's the language that's used there. It's, uh, it's uh, what we would call an anthropomorphism <laughs> that's being used of God. So that we can understand something of like God's actions in the world. Uh, it's said that he's, he's relenting. He's almost repenting. Right? He's not doing what he said he would do. It doesn't mean literally that he's changed his mind. We've seen throughout the book of Jonah 
that God is completely in charge. I mean, the whole point of this is that he is sovereignly gracious, right? In his sovereign grace, he's had this whole thing planned from the beginning. He's orchestrated everything to teach Jonah and to teach us about his grace. So this is not a change in God's plan, a change in God's mind. He doesn't do that. But apparently to us, it's a change because it's not what he said he was going to do, right? And there is some tension with that. There is a a serious tension with that, with what that means. God has declared judgment, and he didn't follow through on it. And that should bother you. That should bother you. God declared judgment. He didn't follow through on it. He didn't do what he said he was going to do. And there's a problem with that. Is this God reliable then? Can you take him at his word? Is he trustworthy? Is he truly righteous? If he knows that evil people deserve death, he knows it, he's proclaimed it, he's declared that it is coming, but he spares them when they beg him for his mercy? There's a, there's a bit of a problem with that. Okay? And Paul uh, writes about that when he talks about what Jesus accomplished at the cross, in Romans chapter 3, it says that God put his own son, Jesus, God put him forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, and that this was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So, we're right. It would have been unjust of God. It would have been unrighteous of God to say that these Ninevites deserve to be overthrown if he never overthrew and destroyed them in his righteous anger. It would be right for us to say he is unrighteous if he didn't destroy those people that were worth destruction, right? Um, He'd be violating his own just proclamation. He'd be breaking his own word. And it, it looked for a long, long time like God was unjust, you just look at the events in history because he kept not destroying people for their sins which is what we deserve he kept not destroying them like he said he was going to do he kept relenting and sparing people who just hoped in his mercy just had faith in him but then he sent his son Jesus to take his righteous wrath so that he would be righteous so that he would be just in sparing them from their doom somebody's getting the doom that's coming to the Ninevites somebody's getting the judgment that people deserve for their sins and uh, in the case of those who have faith in Jesus Christ Jesus took the justice of God for us he took it for the Ninevites who believed in God and he suffered what they deserved all their cruel atrocities and um, and Jesus took the justice of God for you if you trust him if your faith is in him he suffered everything you deserve under God's righteous anger he uh, suffered for all your sins past 
present and future. You've got sins yet to commit you don't even know about, you can't even imagine. And he suffered for those things so that God would be righteous in sparing your life when you call on him for mercy. And you have that message preached to you. You have the gospel preached to you. And so now you're without excuse. Right? Um, if the Ninevites repented and were saved on what little they had to go on, how much more should you repent and be saved knowing who God is and what he's done for you in Jesus Christ? Knowing this merciful God and knowing his gospel, now you can have hope for anybody. For yourself, first and foremost, that you can have hope for anybody. There will apparently be barbarian hordes in heaven. These Assyrians, these Ninevites. There will be pedophiles in heaven. There will be suicidal junkies in heaven. There will be lying, cheating, self-righteous pastors in heaven. Think of worse than that. And you're made from the same stuff as them. You're made from the same stuff. Um, and so when you receive God's mercy, you should, you should never be more shocked by somebody else's conversion than you are at your own. Your own conversion should shock you more than anybody else's conversion. If you know God's mercy, if you know that you really need that, you'll really believe you're just like anybody else. And that you need God's mercy as much as anyone ever did. And if you trust that you have it, if you trust the gospel and believe that uh, it can change even you, even someone like you, then, uh, then you can be hopeful for anyone and everyone that the gospel can change them too. It really is possible. Uh, God really is that powerful and his gospel really can do that work. And maybe most remarkable from this passage, even Jonah will be in heaven. That might be the most remarkable, maybe more remarkable than the Ninevites all coming to faith, is that even Jonah will be in heaven. And uh, <clears throat> honestly, we're probably more like him than the Ninevites, aren't we? Um, so really, we are kind of the unlikeliest people to convert, to repent. And in the Bible, the people portrayed as the furthest from the kingdom, you know, those who were voted in high school to be least likely to enter the kingdom... Um, it's, it's not just the people who wear their sins on their sleeves. You know. In the Bible, it's the self-righteous. It's the self-justifying. It's the pe people who think they deserve God's love. It's the conservative Pharisees, right? Those are the people furthest from the kingdom. And even some of them believed. Right? Nicodemus probably believed. Paul. Paul believed. Right? Uh, Saul as he was known, um, I think is uh, Jonah the way that he should have been. Saul might have actually been worse than Jonah. As we read uh, in this morning's scripture reading, you know, he was breathing threats and murder. He, he stood by and watched Christians killed approvingly. And he hunted them down so that they could be. Uh, but Jesus forgave him. Jesus transformed him, and not only that, he sent him to the Gentiles right off the bat. Three days of blindness, that's what he got. Um, it's kind of like the three days of Jonah in the belly of the whale, this transition period, this real conversion period that uh, 
Saul had three days and then he was out on mission Um, to the pagans, to the Gentiles, and not just in one particular place, all over the world. And in Acts 27, you see Paul is another better Jonah. He's a prisoner on a Roman ship, right? He didn't just pay passage. He's a prisoner on this uh, ship in the Mediterranean. He, He warns the crew of danger ahead of time. He's not asleep, checked out, right? He warns the crew of danger. The tempest arose. There's many days, even weeks, of a fierce storm where everybody's throwing the cargo overboard and and he gave them assurance that God was going to take care of them. Right. Uh, that God loved them. He comforted them. He shepherded 276 people, it said, on the ship. Brought them all safely to land. And his heart was changed dramatically by God's grace to him. To make, uh, to make him care for the welfare of these pagans. To make him spend his entire life for the sake of the gospel going forward to pagans. Um, so God can change anybody <laughs> through his grace through his gospel and if God can change Jonah if God can change the Ninevites if the gospel can change even Paul then he can change you too and if God can change you then he can change anybody else right? anybody around you the, the Ninevites were a precursor to the Gentiles all over the world coming to faith the Jews were all amazed when that started to happen Right? Acts chapter 10, Peter goes to Cornelius' household, and he's preaching the gospel, and while he's still talking, the Holy Spirit falls on these Gentiles? What? They're part of this too? Um, they started believing the gospel and receiving salvation, and it says when they heard about it, the Jews, they started glorifying God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. He has granted repentance. God in his sovereign grace is the one who grants repentance. And he does that for all types of people. And if we know his mercy for ourselves, we will respond like they did there, glorifying God and by hoping that it'll happen more and more through us and in the, in the lives of the people around us. If you have a, gos- a grasp on the power of the gospel to change anybody, then you will hope for the conversion of everybody that you know. And you'll pray for it. And you'll celebrate every time you hear of a conversion. Um, It's amazing and it's wonderful to think that we've had a convert in our little church. It's amazing and wonderful to think that so many of our children have professed faith and they're coming to the Lord's table right alongside of us. It's amazing and wonderful that uh, anybody would want to join us for membership in the church like we're going to have in a few minutes, right? It's amazing and wonderful that any of you come back Sunday after Sunday. It really is. Uh, it's, it's God's grace that's brought us to that point. It's God's grace that has granted repentance that leads to life for us. And it's amazing that we've had the response to God's grace that we've had. So we should look around at each other and we're the living testimony of God's grace and we should be encouraged and give God glory for his grace that can change anybody. It really can. And, and let that grace then embolden you to go out and share the gospel with others. It's hard to believe, I know, that God would entrust his preaching to a sourpuss like Jonah or somebody like Paul. It's hard to believe that he would... Uh, 
entrust, that Jesus would entrust the truth about himself and entrust his very reputation to people like you and me. That's hard to believe. Knowing that we're always kind of going to be this way, <laughs> this broken, messed up bunch of people, and, and Jesus really has entrusted us with the message of his grace, you're sent by a God who can change anyone with a message that can change anyone. And so no matter who you are, no matter how weak your faith, no matter how small your understanding of theology or your ability with apologetics, <laughs> and no matter who you're talking to, no matter, you really can hope for the best. You can just open your mouth and talk about Jesus and the gospel, and God can work with that. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, uh, we are increasingly astonished by your mercy to work with people like us, to use people like us in such a grand mission that you have been accomplishing in, in the world and throughout history. And the fact that you've done it with people like us is, uh, is truly remarkable. The fact that your grace can change anybody, even when it's on the lips of people like us. Uh, Lord, all glory, praise, and honor belong to you. And we pray that you would encourage us with this gospel, with who you are and what you've done for us in history and in our very lives in uh, granting us repentance that leads to life. We pray that uh, that truth would embolden us and give us courage and give us not just courage in the face of uh, all adversity, but give us real hope that when we share the gospel with our friends and family and, and co-workers and people that we know, our neighbors, um, when we just open our mouths and maybe even dumb things come out about your gospel and about Jesus, uh, that you can work with that. Give us hope so that we would do that, so that we would be people who testify to your grace in spite of who we are, you are who you are, and that is good news for everyone in the world. So we pray that you would uh, change the world a little bit at a time, even through people like us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.